Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 13, the Mehmet Okur, if you will, of the Walder Sportscast. I, of course, am your host, Chris Walder. As always, if you'd ever like to reach out to me on social media, then just give me a follow on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. Joining me on today's show will be former Toronto Raptors play-by-play man and current Chicago Bulls radio broadcaster, Chuck Swarski. Uh, landing this interview is the true definition of shooting your shot on Twitter, because that's what I did, and it paid off with me getting the opportunity to talk with him. I, I followed a recent social media trend of tagging people I would love to have on the podcast, so I tagged the likes of Shaquille O'Neal and Chris Jericho and Trish Stratus and of course Chuck Swarski, and Chuck got in touch with me, I pitched him to do the podcast, and he was gracious enough to join me. So interviewing both him and Jack Armstrong over the past several weeks has been extremely nostalgic for me growing up a Raptors guy, and I definitely had a lot of fun with it. But before I talk to Chuck though, I of course have to drop a cheap plug on you as I do every show by encouraging you to check out my latest interview with Joseph Cacharo, who is a senior NBA editor down at The Score in Toronto and a co-host of the Pound the Rock podcast. I always have a blast surprising my guests during the final rapid fire round, and based off of his reactions, it's definitely safe to say that Cash did not expect questions about the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels or the Italian crime drama Gamora or the best places to eat in Scarborough, Ontario. So please check it out if you haven't had a chance to do so and leave a rating and review if you like what you hear because it definitely goes a long way towards supporting the show. With all of that being said though, the legendary Chuck Swarski will be joining me after this short break, so keep it locked. Joining me now is Chuck Swarski, a former Toronto Raptors broadcaster and current Chicago Bulls play-by-play radio broadcaster who's handed out his fair share of salami and cheese over the years. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. So first off, Chuck, we're obviously still in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. How have the past several months been for you and your family during these trying times and how have you been keeping busy? Well, I think it's been challenging for all of us. Uh, certainly, um, this came out of nowhere, really. And we really, I mean, I remember maybe early March started hearing about this coronavirus, really didn't know a lot about it. And to be quite candid with you, I thought, okay, uh, this will pass through maybe a couple of weeks and we'll get back to basketball. And then, of course, play was interrupted in mid-March. And from that time, We've really stayed in the house. Uh, my wife has uh, thoroughly dominated uh, me in board games and <laughs> card games. We build a puzzle, um, 500 pieces, and of course, the 500th piece was nowhere to be found. So guess what? We have a 499-piece <laughs> puzzle. Oh, man. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I mean, it's been fine. I mean, we have our health, and that's first and foremost. And uh, my heart goes to those who have been affected in so many different ways, uh, because this pandemic has 
really hit a chord that no other have I seen, at least in my lifetime. So a lot of my listeners will remember you from your time being a Toronto Raptors broadcaster. You were with the team to the best of my knowledge for 10 or so years from 1998 through 2008. So you were there for Toronto's initial playoff runs of the Vince Carter era, but you were also there when the team dropped off following that infamous trade with the New Jersey Nets. Throughout your tenure with the team, seeing all of the the peaks and valleys that you did, what were some of your biggest takeaways in terms of the level of fandom and enthusiasm surrounding the franchise, obviously with hockey and, and the Maple Leafs having its followers? And could you have ever imagined the Raptors reaching the heights it has with the We the North movement and basketball being so prominent in Canada? Well, there's a lot to digest there. So let's start from the beginning. I mean, as an expansion ball club, and I was not there when the club was um, first uh, originated with Vancouver as expansion ball clubs when the NBA awarded those teams in the mid-90s. But I was there for year three. And when you look at the Raptors franchise, I think it was really a perfect storm with the acquisition on a draft day trade with Vince Carter with Golden State the new building, the Air Canada Center, known at that time. And with basketball, certainly in an infancy stage uh, throughout Toronto, because remember, the Leafs were hockey and the Blue Jays had success winning a couple of World Series. They started to tail off, of course. But the truth of the matter is that everything came together. And that first year was the lockout year because of a labor dispute. And so we played 50 games that year and we started the season in early February and the games came and they came in a hurry. But one thing was for certain, and that was the uh, explosion of a rookie by the name of Vince Carter and the second year maturation of a then 19 year old Tracy McGrady, uh, along with veterans like Kevin Willis, Charles Oakley, Doug Christie, D Brown, just to name a few. And so this ball club really set the foundation, I think, for years to come of enjoyment for Toronto fans and for that matter, Canada. Well, again, you mentioned Vince Carter, and I feel it's undeniable that Vince was the superstar the Raptors needed at the time to put the franchise on the map, especially in the states where the team was certainly an afterthought prior to his arrival. So Carter just announced his retirement after 22 seasons. Chuck, the fan base was very vindictive towards Vince for over a decade after he was moved, and it was only after the last four or so years that fans began cheering him again when he was in the city. So what are you going to most remember his tenure with the Raptors for, and what kind of legacy do you feel he leaves behind? So to look at Vince Carter, obviously the man's going to the Hall of Fame. We all know that. When he first arrived on the scene, dunk after dunk, and they were vicious, sick, wicked, and nasty slam dunks. And I mean, we were talking about a variety of, of dunks every night, but he was more than just a guy who could dunk the ball. I mean, he, he took players off the dribble. His mid-range and long-range jump shot was really developing at the time. And then, of course, there was the playoff run. But remember, Chris, in 2002, he was not a part of that playoff team. Mm -hmm. He got hurt, and it was Antonio Davis who put the Raptors on his back and then ultimately losing the first round of the series to the Pistons. Having said all this, if someone told me back in 2003, 2004, that Vince Carter would play 22 years in the NBA, I would have said, what? 
because I was real, honestly, I was concerned about his health. Uh, these these injuries, these nagging injuries, were catching up with him, and yet, uh, to his credit, you know, where he obviously got his body together, nutrition, whatever the case you want to say. The the bottom line is that Vince Carter played 22 years in the NBA. Never accomplished before by any player. Played four decades in the NBA. That's a first. And so, I, you know, I tip my hat and I wish him well. Well, do you believe Toronto would have become champions at some point had they kept Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady together because I'm certainly of the mindset that as talented as they are and as talented as they were they were so similar that I'm not convinced Tracy would have blossomed into this superstar talent he inevitably became had he remained alongside his cousin for a prolonged period well Chris you know what that's one of those uh, questions we will never know and it's fun to speculate and I've done that on more than one occasion what if Mm -hmm. um, and I do think they would have learned to play together, period. And mm -hmm. I am convinced they would have done that. Uh, they only played two seasons together, and both were very, very young. And again, they were just you know, starting to understand what the NBA is all about, especially in the case of T-Mac. But I am convinced, and again, this is just me, who knows, mm -hmm. but I'm convinced had McGrady and Carter stayed together, uh, the Raptors would have won the Eastern Conference multiple occasions because what would have happened, Chris, is that the rest of the league players who were free agents or wanting to be moved would have looked at Toronto, fan base, solid, sellouts every night, close to 19,000. They would have looked at the city, great city, uh, a city where they accept and, and you know embrace players. And then you look at the fact that the Raptors were going to win and they were going to do this with two young players. So I think the table was set for a long, successful run. And then Tracy left. That was his right. He played out his contract, went to Orlando. We know the rest of the story. But I am convinced the Raptors would have won the East. Well, considering your history with the organization, what was it like watching that championship run from last year unfold? Because I believe you even had them winning it all before the playoffs even got underway. I did. I did, and I saw what was happening with the team, the chemistry, the makeup of the team, the matchups. And re remember when Milwaukee took a 2-0 series lead. Remember this. Milwaukee mm -hmm. had a 2-0 series lead. I was still convinced the Raptors were going to win that series because, uh, actually, if you look at it, the Raptors should have won game one. Uh, mm -hmm. They had that, that, that drought late in the fourth quarter. But I was convinced that the Raptors had enough to beat the Bucs, and they did. You know, so this really didn't surprise me. They got involved in the, in the run against Golden State. The Warriors were really, really banged up. And I think Milwaukee would have beaten Golden State quite candidly in the NBA Finals, taking nothing away from the Raptors because the Raps were banged up as well. But in this case, Golden State was, was a very thin roster, especially with their bench. So... I thought it was a, a terrific, terrific uh, franchise uh, run for the Raptors. Obviously, they win the NBA title, and no one can take it away from them. Chuck, if you were to ask Toronto Raptors fans right now, I feel the overwhelming consensus would be that Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time. Perhaps not the most talented, 
but his body of work, the championship, his all-star appearances, I feel it's hard to deny him that title. Now, you did an interview with The Athletic last year, and you said that Vince would be your number one Raptor. Is that still the case today? Well, again, you know, when when someone says who is the greatest Raptor of all time, obviously Kyle Lowry with the length, longevity, success, and he's got the ring. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. I totally get it 100%. And probably if you're talking to a fan of today who is not around back in 98 to the mid-2000s, I get that mm-hmm. because the Raptor base is growing and growing and growing. Uh, but I, I still maintain in my heart that Vince Carter put basketball on the map. You've got to look at different layers when we start examining who's the greatest Raptor of all time. You have to take the page of saying, okay, like where, where was the franchise? Uh, give me a little history about the team. What type of player are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Did he go to the playoffs? All these things. And I am convinced that because of all the essentials, Vince Carter, to me, remains the greatest Raptor of all time. And now Kyle Lowry is the most productive, obviously, Mm -hmm. and he has a ring. So if you were talking about Lowry or DeRozan or Carter, all three guys uh, earn that moniker, and all three hopefully will have their jerseys retired, which I'm sure they will one day. Um, You know, the Kawhi Leonard is a little bit intriguing because – Without Leonard, the Raptors don't win the finals, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't even get to the finals, period. And we all know that. I mean, Kawhi is a special player. He's a Hall of Fame player. Um, But as far as, you know, just saying and putting these names and then saying, okay, is it Lowry? Is it DeRozan? Is it Carter? You have an argument either for Lowry or Carter. Uh, DeMar is a fabulous player. Again, his jersey will be retired. Great, great star in his own right, uh, has a chance if he continues to produce for another four or five years the way he has been. He could be looked upon as a Hall of Fame player. Lowry probably going into the Hall of Fame. Carter is a lock for the Hall of Fame. So again, this was this was a, a period of time over the last three, five years with the Raptors where they built for this uh, occasion to reach the finals and it turned out very successfully. Segwaying over to the team that you currently cover in the Chicago Bulls, a a team that appears to have perhaps peaked in 2011 when they won 62 games and got to the conference finals, but they've certainly been on a downward trajectory since then and have seemingly bottomed out these past three seasons. But there's a lot of young pieces to like on that roster. Is there at least a sense of optimism with this iteration of the Bulls? And has it been difficult getting through these bottom of the rung seasons as the franchise, you know, looks to get back in the playoff picture? Well, I mean, listen, uh, this is a club that in 2008, they were very fortunate, as we all know, to get the number one pick. They weren't expected in the lottery to get the number one pick, and they did. They drafted, you know, Derek Rose from Chicago. And prior to the injury, it certainly appeared that the uh, Bulls were going to um, have great success. 
because this is a situation where you had a hometown kid who loved playing in Chicago, who played with a lot of passion and fire every night. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not comparing them to Vince Carter because they're completely different players, but they made the same impact on a team and on a city. Um, And so you had a guy like Joakim Noah, very young star. He was entering his second year in the NBA. You had a lot of veterans around him, guys like Luel Dang. And so this is this morphed into a really neat team until Rose got hurt with the ACL. And then, as you know, two seasons later, came down with the MCL and was never the same player. And yet Derek's heart and his love of the game, we're looking at a player now who's still performing at the NBA at a high level, not at an all-star level, but at a very high level. So um, now, as you mentioned, a lot of young players and the Bulls want to continue to add to this. They have a brand new front office and uh, we'll see what pieces will be um, put in the mix here because I'm very encouraged with some of the young talent with the Bulls. I think a lot of young basketball fans didn't get to watch the Bulls when when they were steamrolling teams en route to championships, which is why I'm so glad that The Last Dance came out to give those a deep cut into the players and how successful that dynasty was. Now, I've heard you mention on other appearances that you've done, though, that you wish Jerry Krause was around to defend himself against the, the intense scrutiny he received during that documentary. Did it ever make you feel uneasy, you know, watching that series, knowing that Kraus couldn't respond because he was certainly made out to be quite the villain? Listen, here, here's my take, Chris, on, on Jerry Krause. And I knew Jerry professionally. I, I never socialized with him, obviously, personally. But from a professional standpoint, this is my take on Jerry Krause. He was a brilliant scout. He was he could identify players He loved being a scout, and he still had a lot of scout in him as a general manager who oversaw an NBA franchise. He he loved going into the gym. He loved going to a college game looking at players. His people skills, certainly not the best. And there was an unfortunate situation where there was friction between Jerry and the head coach, Phil Jackson, and the two franchise leaders. In this case, of course, we're talking about Jordan and Pippen. Um, It's, as I've said this many, many times, I wish Jerry Krause had been alive so he could have been interviewed for this documentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Last Dance was brilliant. It was great. But there was a void. Uh, And the void was that Jerry never got a chance to speak for himself. Listen, these are times when in the media, we look at snippets of 20 seconds, 60 seconds, a minute here, a facial expression there, and we form and we galvanize how we perceive an individual based on these sound bites, and it's not fair. Mm -hmm. We have to live in that moment. And that moment at time, there was a lot of things going on. You know, whether it was Pippen and his contract, but with MJ talking back to a general manager, you know, all this mistrust. So now here we are 20 years later looking at this last dance and we're saying to ourselves, well, what's wrong with Jerry Krause? Boy, he could he broke up the bulls. He did not break up the bulls. Let, let's look at facts right now. 
the ball club was was running out of gas. There, even if you they, and financially, I'm not even sure in the cap area you could bring back these players. But mm-hmm. looking at these players and how they were breaking down, Luke Longley breaking down, Dennis Rodman breaking down. No one knew what was going on in his world. Um, you know, Pippen was coming off a situation with his back. He he wanted max money, and he should have wanted max money. I don't begrudge him at all. Um, and then there was Jordan, and Jordan with the cut on his finger. You know, I mean, this was the, the, you can question how they rebuilt the team. Obviously, they hit rock bottom, and mm-hmm. I'm talking rock bottom as we know. I, I saw that club play against the Raptors, but this was a team ready for a rebuild. These are two different parts to the equation we're talking about, Chris, as one as, okay, the relationship Krause had with players and then the rebuild. And you can question the relationship on both sides, not just one, but both sides. But then for the rebuild, was it time to rebuild? Absolutely. Then you can question what was Jerry's thinking, Jerry Krause's thinking along the lines of a rebuild? Why couldn't you get free agents, number one, major free agents to come to Chicago? Secondly, let's talk about the drafts and some of the subsequent trades you made in this rebuild. Some worked, some didn't work. And that's what we have to look at in the big picture. Chuck, we're drawing to a close here, but before we sign off, I do have some fun rapid fire questions to send your way if you're game. Sure. So easily one of your most memorable calls came on March 30th, 2007 in the infamous Michael Ruffin game when Ruffin intercepted a full court inbound pass. On the floor, and it's a deflection by Ruffin. And the play continues. Peterson got it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. If it good if it goes, we got to check it out. If it's good, we're going into overtime. And a Hail Mary three by Mo Pete. I don't believe what I just saw! Onions, baby onions! Now, Chuck, you've watched a ton of basketball since then, but does that rough and play still rank high for you on the craziest things you've ever seen in an NBA game? Craziest thing I've ever seen in an NBA game? Unbelievable. I mean, remember that game, if you look at the video, Chris, of that game, when, when Peterson hit that Hail Mary shot, well, right before the release of that ball, Eddie Jordan, who was the head coach of Washington at the time, and I want fans to go back, and Chris, you can do this yourself. Watch the last few seconds. Eddie Jordan is on his way to shake hands with Sam Mitchell saying, hey, great game, coach. Thanks. Good luck to you down the road. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're going into overtime, and the Raptors won. So... Uh, I mean, it was bizarre, totally bizarre. And if it had to happen in that fashion, I'm glad it was with Mo Pete because he remains one of my favorite raps of all time. 
I remember that play vividly, and at the time, I thought the Raptors should have won the game at the buzzer because I thought Morris Peterson got fouled. Well, I, I don't know if he got fouled or not. All I can tell you is it was crazy. I mean, the way the launch came, and, <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, that was incredible. That was an unbelievable moment in Raptor history. Well, contrary to popular belief, Chuck, you did not bring out the salami and cheese during that 81-point performance by Kobe Bryant against the Raptors in 2006. What was it like being at Staples Center for that performance, especially doing play-by-play -play for the team that was on the receiving end of such an historic beatdown? Chris, it was a sleepy Sunday night in Los Angeles. No E-listers were there, no Jack Nicholson, no one. And, you know, here we are. Raps are struggling through a tough, tough year, and they took on a Laker club that was kind of a pedestrian ball club. I mean, they, they did have Lamar Odom, but they had Chris Mim, they had Smush Parker, with all due respect. I mean, so then you have Kobe, and like, Kobe got it going. The, the Raptors, remember, they were up by like 18, 19 points yes. in that game. And then Kobe went off, and when he was at the foul line, I mean, you talk about pressure, in fact, I, I actually asked Kobe this off the air once about like Kobe. Okay, so you're at 79 and you're going to the foul line and everyone in the building wants 80. <laughs> they want to see eight on the scoreboard with your name on it. Right. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, I scored 79 points. It's another <laughs> to say, I got 80. And then he made two free throws and he exhaled. You know, and the crowd's <laughs> going crazy. And you know what, at that point, as even, it, you know, because I want the Raptors, like I want the Bulls to win every game. I get that. You have to have the integrity of calling a game. But at that point, to see a man take over, and I mean, he was taking it to whether it was Mike James, Jalen Rose, Matt Bonner, Chris Bosh. I mean, it was Mo Peterson. I mean, no one could stop him. No one. <laughs> and uh, so it was like, it was that, that game, in my opinion, uh, and I, I had the fortune of doing the, that Philly Raptors series and also the Bulls series with Boston in 2009. But for a single game, it's the most impressive performance I've ever seen an individual athlete have. Now, Chuck, all lists are subjective, of course, but Bleacher Report recently released a list of the eight greatest NBA players from the city of Chicago with Anthony Davis coming in at number three, Isaiah Thomas two, and Dwayne Wade ranking number one. But for your money, Chuck, who do you believe is the greatest player to ever come from the Windy City? Well, well in that list, Chris, I mean, they also listed George Mikan, who was uh, the, really one of the legit great big men of that era in, in the NBA. And so, but I never saw him play. Um, I did. I, I have seen every player on that list. In fact, I've seen, I've seen most of them. I, I missed Derek in high school, but saw enough tape of him. Greatest player I've ever seen personally. Now, Chris, remember this personally. The greatest high school player I've ever seen personally coming from Chicago was Isaiah Thomas, without any okay. question, period. Out of St. Joe's, Westchester, he was magnificent. 
Now you had the opportunity to watch Michael Jordan up close and personal when he first arrived in Chicago and then catching that original three-peat in the early 90s. And one of the fun, you know, water cooler conversations these days among basketball fans is debating who the greatest player of all time is between him and LeBron James. So Chuck, is Jordan still the GOAT in your eyes? And if so, does James still have a chance to surpass him in that regard? Uh, yes and no. Michael Jordan is the greatest player in the history of this game. Uh, LeBron, obviously, is in the top five now. I don't think I could have said that two, three years ago, but he is a top five all-time NBA player, maybe even number two. Who knows? Because, you know, when we start talking about who's the second greatest player in the NBA, but I don't think there is any doubt whatsoever Michael Jordan is number one. Well, Chuck, you came up with a ton of nicknames during your time in Toronto. Some were more straightforward, like Air Canada Carter, but some were certainly outside the box, like Apollo 33 for Jamario Moon or the Red Rocket for Matt Bonner. Have you ever had any memorable interactions with players concerning a nickname you've dropped on the air, or maybe you've had some, some pitch to you over time? No, in fact, uh, the, the players love it. Mo Peterson, remember from a... a from a listening device for music. Remember, they had a thing called an MP3. Remember that? Yeah. An MP player. And so when Mo Peterson would hit a three, I would say an MP3. Or Anthony Parker loved corner shots. And so we called it, you know, 18 Parkerville Court um, mm. because that was his space on the floor. You know, so the players, the players enjoyed it. You know, we had the Bosch pit uh, when Chris arrived. CB4, and the players were great. Listen, I loved my time in Toronto. I loved the relationship I had with the fan base, um, with the front office, the coaches were great. The ownership, Larry Tannenbaum, his beautiful wife, Judy, you couldn't ask for two greater and finer people than the Tannenbaums. And, um, you know, my, my time in Toronto was all coming from the heart. So, you know, I mean, I have nothing but great things to say about the city and the country and the franchise. And lastly, Chuck, I think one of the things I admire most about your social media presence is just how overwhelmingly positive and compassionate you are on Twitter, which is a much needed addition to anyone's timeline, including my own these days with everything that's going on in the world right now with politics and, and systematic racism, the coronavirus, of course. Do you ever find it difficult to maintain such a level of positivity or is it just something that comes naturally to you? Well, it comes naturally, Chris, and here's the story. Um, there were so many influential people in different phases of my life, but it really starts at home. Uh, my father passed away when I was 12 years old. My mom really took complete control of the house. Um, her grandparents, my grandparents, her parents were from Sicily old school Italian values, which I appreciate and love, uh, plenty of support and encouragement in the house. And if, if there's anything I can do to e extend that the way I grew up, whether it's doing a podcast and getting the word out about you know respect and kindness to all, trying to help a young person develop and grow in the radio, television, digital field we're now in. Uh, buying a cup of coffee for somebody when you go get a, you know, something at Starbucks and you see a homeless person on the street corner, whether or not you try to lift someone up. And my mom had a saying, and it was be a light in someone's storm. Because Chris, all of us have storms. Sometimes we have multiple storms in a day. 
And, but we can all be encouraging. We can all be respectful. We can all be kind. We can all be considerate. We can all be compassionate and empathetic and, and offer forgiveness when we've hurt someone. And to me, that's what it's all about. And so it begins really with the heart. It begins with values. And it be, and, but, but it's one thing to talk it, Chris. It's another to walk it. And you have to walk it. Uh, and this is not some bow tied wrap package here. You have to make sure that you truly live it 24 seven. Well, Chuck, I, I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time out of your day to come on my podcast. But growing up a Toronto Raptors fan, it's your voice I most associate with the team when I was first falling in love with the game of basketball. So it means a tremendous amount to have you on. I wish you nothing but the best, sir. Stay safe and hopefully somewhere down the road we can do this again. Christopher, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And that was my interview with the great Chuck Swarski. You can follow him on Twitter at CTS Bulls. Uh, Chuck was extremely generous with his time. We had some technical issues along the way recording the interview, but he was very accommodating in helping get everything recorded. It, it meant a lot to me, and I'm glad we were able to put something really fun together. Again, my early love for the Toronto Raptors coincided with Chuck being the play-by-play man, so I have a ton of fond memories of his famous calls and sayings, and two of my past three interviews being with Chuck and Jack Armstrong is a thrill for me that I can't possibly do justice with words. It, It certainly means a great deal. Again, I want to thank Chuck so much for taking the time out of his day to chat with me. I also want to shout out my audio engineer, Jason Lung, for all of his hard work in putting this show together. Uh, Please reach out to him on Twitter, at JLung20, if you want him to work on your podcast or project, because he's definitely worth it. And we'll have a website up and running soon enough so you can have easier access to his resume of audio work. This has been episode 13 of the Walder Sportscast. Please leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the show. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Google, and wherever it is that you download your shows. That's another one in the books. So get out the salami and cheese, mama, because this podcast is over. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.